Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. New Book Network podcast. I'm the host of Asian American channel, Melody Yunzi Lee. Today, we are lucky to have Angela Davis Gardner with us, and we will discuss her book, Butterfly's Child. Angela was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, and grew up in Greensboro. She attended Duke University and earned her Bachelor of Arts in English, and earned an MFA at the UNC Greensboro. Her first teaching job at Suda College in Tokyo, Japan, changed the course of her writing. Her two most important novels, Butterfly's Child and Plum Wine, had their inception in her lifelong interest in Japanese culture and Japanese-American relations. She worked as a journalist and editor after returning from Japan, then returned to teaching. She spent most of her teaching career at North Carolina State University. Angela has won many awards, including two grants from the North Carolina Arts Council and two fellowships from the Japan Foundation. In 2007, she was Duke University's William Blackburn Visiting Fiction Writer, and she has spent several residencies at the Virginia Center for Creative Arts. Personally, it is my great honor and pleasure to get to know Angela when she was invited to speak in the Visiting Writer Series at Nanor Rhine University when I served as a multicultural scholar in residence in the fall semester of 2017. Butterfly's Child was first published in 2011, and its style press uh, trade paperback edition was published in 2012. While Butterfly's uh, Child is, in a limited sense, a sequel to Puccini's opera Madame Butterfly, the novel is so much more than a continuation of the narrative. It is a revisiting and revision of the original story, correcting for Puccini's misconceptions about Japan and geisha culture. It is a study of rural life and racial prejudice in the early 20th century America. The book begins with a brief synopsis of Puccini's opera. Benjamin Franklin Pinkerton returns to Nagasaki, where he formerly lived with his Japanese geisha wife, Chocho-san, Butterfly. But Pinkerton has renounced his liaison and returns now with his American wife named uh, Kate. Upon learning the truth, Butterfly kills herself. Pinkerton and Kate take the trial Benji back with them to a town called Plum River in rural Illinois. They tell friends and relatives that Benji was an orphan whom they rescued. Flank and Kate fail to provide an emotional home for Benji. Flank struggles to keep the farm going while coping with his guilt and longing for the deceased butterfly. Kate is torn between her Christian principles and her resentment of raising another woman's child. And Benji's life as an outcast, neither fully American nor fully Japanese, forces him to forge an identity far from the life that he has known. It is a story of longing, love, tragedy, redemption. And today we are lucky to have the author Angela Davis Gardner to talk about her book and her writing career. 
Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much, Melody. Glad to be here. Yes, so it's always uh, good to provide some background for our audience. Uh, So before we start uh, talking about your book, which is um, Butterfly's Child today, um, could you introduce a little bit about yourself and how you started your writing career? Yes, I started writing when I was a child, and I was encouraged by all my teachers along the way. And when I graduated from UNCG with my MFA, I wrote some stories set in the South where I grew up, and they were just not not very good. They were sort of imitations of Eudora Welty and Flannery O'Connor. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I discovered my true material, um, subjects that I felt really passionate about. So each one of my books I felt very strongly about. The first one set in Nova Scotia, and then one in North Carolina. But I feel like my My best material is in Japan with my last two books, Plum Wine and Butterfly's Child. And I hope to write another book set in Japan. That's great. Uh, And since most, a lot of, uh, two of your most famous books are set in Japan, and I really enjoy them. Thank you. And uh, so do you feel that uh, you will be identified as Asian American writers, since uh, Asian American writers, majority of them are mixed race or mm-hmm. uh, first or second generation. And a lot of times they would like to be identified as American writers without a hyphenated uh, Asian identity. And sometimes um, they would identify themselves as in between. And uh, as an American writer who writes about Japan and Asia, how do you identify yourself as a writer? Well, as an outsider in both worlds, and I grew up as an outsider in the South because uh, the South, when I was living here, was very anti-intellectual and a lot of racism, and I felt very odd and on the edge. And then when I became really interested in Japan, I realized I was an outsider in Japan. I wanted to study Japanese literature there, but I I sensed I will never be accepted. But I still feel like an outsider in the U.S., especially, well, not especially, but partly as a writer, because I don't really fit anywhere. So I'm not an Asian-American writer in the sense that I have two, you know, mixed heritage, but I feel so devoted to Japan. It's like my second world, my second country. And the reason is peculiar. My mother lived in Japan briefly before World War II. And she, I, in order to try to get in touch with her, she had been a remote kind of mother. I found myself unconsciously drawn to Japan after I finished graduate school, um, my Japanese literature teacher asked me to come teach at her school. And there in Japan, I was looking for my mother. So, and then I found a um, surrogate mother in Japan who took care of me in, in a very warm, loving way that I kind of way I'd always wanted. So it, I adopted Japan in this emotional kind of unconscious way. And that's why I feel so bonded to Japan. I mean, it's, I know it's odd, but that's, that's how it is. 
That's great, and it sounds、uh, similar to a lot of the Asian American writers.、Mm. Actually,、um, that's great to hear. And、uh, I also know that you've been teaching writing a lot.、Uh, how do you?、Um, how did the?、Uh, how is your writing and、uh, teaching career combined? And how does you know? What's your suggestion for writing teachers as a writer? Well, that's a great question.、Um, I feel that both feed the other. I could not teach writing if I weren't a writer myself, and because of all the、uh, technical issues I've learned, you know, mastering—well, not mastering, but being really familiar with the forms of the short story and the novel—I have to have experience myself in order to pass that on, of course. And、um, I share that kind of experience that I'm having in my daily writing life with my students. And the main reason I started writing was not really for a career. It was because I I learned that I felt better and happier when I started writing. I began to explore my my psyche and my self, and I I learned. And I so my main reason for writing then and still is a self expression for myself and self. Exploration. So I think that's the main reason to write. That's what I, I pass on to my students, and I've had students from、uh, MFA students at、um, North Carolina State University, and very advanced students I've taught elsewhere to、uh, undergraduates in many different fields: engineering, chemistry, textiles, whatever.、Um, All of, many of them found that just by writing fiction, they learned a lot about themselves. You know, an area they had never thought about. Many of them to、um, to write using their imaginations, but the imagination sometimes gets a backseat in life and in school studying science and so on. So I feel like that's one thing I'm able to pass on. To my students, and also, I'm in awe of what they write, and I get so caught up with it, with their stories. I can remember see somebody on the street ten years after they've written a story, and I will remember the story. I might not remember their name, but I'm very, very fascinated by what what they write. Wow. That's great.、Uh, it's and definitely some good suggestions for、uh, other teachers, writers, and so、um, can we now. Get onto the novel Butterflies Trial. Yes, thank yes. you. So at first glance,、uh, your novel appears to be a continuation of Puccini's opera Madame Butterfly. And one of the novel's most surprises is that it proves to be no such thing. And could you talk a little bit about the relationship between your novel and the opera, and how it began, and how you conceived、uh, the topic? Uh, I've been interested in the opera、um, since I was a teenager. I love the music, and then I was、um, just a few years ago at a performance of Madame Butterfly, and I turned to a friend and said, "I wonder what happens to Benj, you know, the child. I wonder what happens to Madame Butterfly's child." And in that moment, I thought, "Oh, there is a novel that I would like to write,"、mm-hmm. and. 
primarily because I wanted to know what emotions, what experiences the child would have in America. I figured he would go to America with Pinkerton and um, what effect that would have on the family. But also, I had long been interested in the plot of Madame Butterfly. I'd learned from my Japanese students that um, it's very unrealistic and not um, reflective of Japanese culture. So Mm. it was racist and sexist. It was written by a man who knew nothing about Japan and there are a lot of errors in it. And primarily the big error is according to my Japanese friends is um, Pinkerton would not have uh, the, the geisha would not have fallen for Pinkerton in the first place. So in writing the sequel, and I do think of it as a kind of sequel an imagined sequel. um, I have butterfly being quite cynical mm-hmm. in her relationship with Pinkerton instead of in love with him. And then she's, she doesn't kill herself at all. So, um, and I, th- I thought from the first that that would be the case. Why would she die over somebody she was not really in love with? Of course, the opera p- portrays her as in love, but I, I didn't believe it. Yes, that's cool. And I like it. I like uh, that. It seems your project is definitely an uh, anti-colonial or post-colonial yes. project mm-hmm. that to reverse the um, sexism and colonization in uh, in the original opera. So you must have uh, read David Henry Huang's uh, Anne Butterfly, an Asian-American adaptation of Madame Butterfly. So yes. how do you think about it? How do you compare your own uh, novel to his play? Well, both of us clearly were um, not satisfied with the opera and also found rich material there to imagine from and bring the opera into contemporary world with a contemporary understanding of what was presented in in the opera. Um, Huang's play and film is very different from my take on it, but on the opera, and his is absolutely fascinating. I love it. Um, and he plays with gender identities, and which is especially interesting give, given the sexism in um, um, Japanese and I imagine Chinese culture, in which, for instance, no woman is allowed to portray a woman in kabuki or no theater it has to be a a man dressed as a woman pretending to be a woman and i think he he takes on that part of theater and uh view of women along with the um colonial view so i the way i relate his work to mine and also the um the play miss saigon is that each of us had Miss Saigon is set in Vietnam and it's a continuation too of the butterfly story and what happens to the child is simply that each of us was stirred by that opera and wanted to make something new out of it and continue it. And in a way that would help, you know, arouse, um, new thinking about the opera. 
As I read the book, I can't speak enough of the enormous amount of research you did to put into detail of the book. And obviously, you. you've um, done a lot of research in Japan. Could you tell us a little bit about the research process for your book in Japan? I started doing research for plum wine and continued. I built on that with Butterfly's Child. I learned everything I could about Japanese culture, and for this book, particularly Butterfly's Child, I did a lot. I went to Nagasaki, where the book is set, because I cannot write about a place unless I've actually been there and walked around in the streets and understood the geography and geology. And then I also did a lot of um, research about pre-war Nagasaki and Japan and um, I had a lot of, I had guides from the school where I had taught and did a lot of library research and also conversations with people in Japan. I had specific questions and I found many people who helped me enormously. There's a British man, a Canadian, in uh, Nagasaki, who consider, who is considered the historian of Nagasaki, and he helped me a lot. So um, that was part of it. I had a grant to go and do research for Butterfly's Child, and I spent about a month there doing that. But I had been doing research earlier for a summer um, to do plain wine. Hmm. Uh, very, very complete and kind of exhaustive research. Mm, that's great. And uh, you, in your book, you also uh, took readers to early 1990s on a farm as though you were of that time and really living on a farm. So have you ever experienced uh, on a farm? And what's that experience like? I grew up in the country, not on a farm, but with lots of trees and fields around the house. And so that's my sense of home is that house where I grew up and the land around it and gardening. I lived in Illinois for about a year. So I had a sense of the geography of the Midwest, the long horizon, the big sky. And then I had to do a lot of research about farming in the early 1900s. And I, there's a, an archive in Madison, Wisconsin, that has the largest holdings about early farming in the Midwest of any other place. And I spent um, days there reading letters and diaries and looking at photographs. And then I decided I, I needed to go find, you know, physically the place where um, they would have lived. So I drove around Illinois until I came to a place that had been a town but was now deserted. Mm. And it was on Plum River, so mm. which I, had, I was very interested in from my earlier work about Plum Wine. But I, so I could visualize what the house place was going to look like and what they were looking out at. So again, I had to feel very, very grounded in where I was before I could begin to imagine the family into that place. Mm. 
Really great, and、uh, that interests me a lot because I've lived in Midwest for six years during my PhD. So it's very interesting to know the lives of women, particularly during、mm-hmm. that time. And so, what kind of research have you done about women's life、uh, during that time on the farm, particularly? The diaries I read about、uh, that women kept during that time were especially revealing. They were not particularly emotional. They would have、uh, notes about the death of a child on one day, and the next day working in the in the field. And I also read、um, suffragist literature、um, about women women working for women's rights、mm-hmm. during that period. So. Um, I read a lot of books and a lot of primary source material.、Mm, that's great. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about the characters、uh, in the book. And a lot of characters in Butterfly's Child are consumed with regrets, longing, trauma over the past.、Uh, both Mr. Pinkerton and Benji have recalled Chocho sound a lot. And there's a sentence in the book that says, "Longing was a torturous affair." And when I read it, I felt it's really interesting. And could you talk about how longing and memory function in your story? Longing is at the center of the novel, and the longing is related to、uh, Pinkerton and Benji's memories of Cho Cho San. Pinkerton is still in love with her, and he feels very guilty about he's, how he's treated her. Benji longs for his mother. Kate, Pinkerton's new wife, longs for the marriage that she and Pinkerton had before. She learned about butterfly, and so longing drives the whole book. They're all affected by a past that is still almost present in their daily lives. It is const- constantly present. Mm. Yeah, another thing that interests me is、uh, the book says a few times suicide is more acceptable in Japan, and it is a noble act, like、uh, Pinkerton says.、Um, and what? How did you find out about it? And in China, we always have the culture of dying for love, and、uh, in a lot of traditional Chinese novels and plays,、uh, we can identify sacrifice as a supreme form of love. And is that the same in Japan? Yes, I think so. And Yukio Mishima, a Japanese novelist, is a、um, a primary example of this. I don't know that he killed himself for love, but he did kill himself for honor at the end of his life. After he was a very prominent Japanese、mm-hmm. novelist. Also,、um, in many Japanese stories that I've read,、uh, that has been a focus. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the names of the writers, but、um, yes, there's a tradition like that in Japan as well as in China,、mm-hmm. and it's a romantic idea, I think, of,、mm-hmm. of dying for love. How do you think、uh, Americans perceive this idea? Do,、um, is it like the audience of Madame Butterfly? They find oh, it's very Oriental, it's very interesting, or is it? But they find it stupid. 
No, I think they find it really alluring. Um, suicide, I don't know that suicide is really so-called accepted in Japan or China, but it's probably less accepted in the U.S. And I think this has to do with the concept of original sin. Now, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I, I found when I was teaching my students that they had no concept of the um, Westernite notion of original sin, that all people are basically sinful and must strive to overcome that. And somehow suicide has become... Seems to be considered an immoral act, mm-hmm. and um, in Catholic theology, it is a mortal sin mm. to commit suicide. And whereas in uh, cultures that where we don't have the original sin, it's accepted, if not embraced, it's accepted. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a Catholic. Um, world i had a little bit of exposure to catholicism and my teachers would read aloud the uh, stories of the virgin martyrs who kill themselves rather than submit to um, the advances of various men now that was the only suicide that was acceptable but um, any other suicide was considered you know damnable it would send you to hell mm-hmm. That's good. And could you talk about a sense of guilt as well as I notice a strong sense of guilt and flanks uh, throughout the book? Well, he has not behaved well. And why he went to Japan to begin with, with this American woman, is just very puzzling. One of the things, the biggest challenge really as I began this book was try to, to try to figure out the motivations of all the characters. Um, particularly Pinkerton, why in the world would he go visit his former love with his present wife? What was he thinking? <laughs> I was trying to figure out what he was thinking. And why would Kate have wanted to go to Japan? Mm-hmm. Of course, she didn't know what she was about to run into. So he's he's uh, made a terrible mistake, Pinkerton has. First of all, in leaving butterfly in such a terrible way and as you know many people break up in in awful ways I mean it's not so unusual but he feels guilty about that and then he feels guilty about taking Kate and then most of all he thinks he's responsible for her suicide Mm -hmm. that she has killed herself because of him and then the irony in my book is that this was not true at all Mm -hmm. But um, he doesn't know that. He never knows that. Mm-hmm. Only Benji learns that. Yeah. So, but it is his guilt that drives the book, the motivation of um, his motivation and journey through uh, the days of living in this family and trying to come to terms with what he's done, mm. which he does in the end of the book. Okay. Yeah. 
So your portrayal of Benji's struggle with his、uh, racial difference from those around him was convincing. And since a lot of Asian American writers or scholarship focus on the struggles of the mixed race、uh, children, how do you fit Benji's case into the common Asian American struggles? And where do you foresee this going in the future? I'll start with the end question there first,、um, where I foresee this going. I had a wonderful interview when I was doing this book with、um, the head of the Japan American Society in San Francisco, and we talked about mixed race children. And I wanted to make sure that I had portrayed Benji accurately, particularly with blonde hair. And And an Asian, you know, a Japanese face, and then he showed me pictures of mixed races from all, you know, all Asian and Western countries with all kinds of different characteristics. And we talked about the blending that will come in the future, more and more. And I was very excited about that, about his perspective. Also relieved to hear that I had done Benji correctly. So. But I've been interested for a long time about the history of Japanese immigrants and what they encountered. Also, Chinese immigrants、mm-hmm. to the U.S. who were made to work on the railroads,、mm-hmm. and the Japanese who were mostly farmers and who had their land taken from them、uh, when they became successful, and then、uh, the struggles that Japanese Americans and Chinese Americans had trying to exist in a racist society, and. To tell the truth, I, I came to this、um, passion because of growing up in the South and experiencing racial discrimination on such a huge scale of、mm-hmm. uh, um, African Americans being badly treated. So I could go on and on about that, but I, I wanted to write about that my whole life, and I didn't have a story.、Mm-hmm. A lot of my Interest, influence from my growing up is got transferred into the Japanese American、uh, predicament. Oh, it's great that you find a way to portray that. Then,、mm-hmm. how do you、uh, find the similarities or differences between African American discrimination versus Asian American di- discrimination? I really don't know how to answer that. I'm sure there must be profound differences,、mm-hmm. but. For me, it's just the simple fact of people's、uh, some members of the dominant society being cruel、mm-hmm. and unaccepting and afraid of the differentness and outsider, which is it must be a Jungian kind of figure and fear,、mm-hmm. fear of the outsider, which of course is going on in American life more and more. Mm-hmm. As、um, people talk about banning immigrants、yeah. of, of different religions and countries, but of course I had much more、uh, intimate knowledge—not intimate, but long-term knowledge—about how African Americans were treated and and lynched and were slaves, and I was very affected by the Emmett Till murder in 1954, which started the civil rights movement. I worked for a magazine in、uh, Chicago, Ebony, which is a、uh, an African American、uh, magazine. So I was just 
really, really interested in that conflict. And, um, of course, African-Americans were immigrants. They were brought ashore as slaves on the beaches of South Carolina. And um, Japanese-Americans, I don't know if they had an easier time, but I've never thought thought of that. So, And then they were put in internment camps during the war, and the Japanese American soldiers who served in the war on America's side were very badly treated, as were African Americans. So yeah. I think there's some big similarities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I uh, personally experienced uh, that when mm-hmm. going to Angel Island and also the internment camp and seeing the history, like listening to the histories of those immigrants, and they definitely had a really hard time, and that um, was very, very sad. Yes. So in some parts of the novel, when I read, I notice this again, when uh, Benji is growing up, he awakes to the fact that uh, his father is such a liar. Yeah. So um, there are there are parts that really um, don't like haunts me in some way. He says, uh, "Papa son is a liar," or um, in some part he says, "I I hate you. I hate America." So is he symbolizing this failure of American dream, or um, does he symbolize this? You know, or criticize this notion of American dream as a lot of. Asians or Asian Americans actually really hold on to this American dream in the early, um, in, even from mid to 19th century, when a lot of Asians came for the gold rush uh, or mm. to build a railroad, right. they had this strong wish to, um, you know, to bring glory back to China or right. Asia or, um, you know, and Japan uh, in the early century. So is it like, is it something to do with Benji's uh, going up? Yes, I think it does. And he was um, would have been one of the first immigrants, a forced immigrant, in 1906, because it was before the um, before many Asian people came, and for for the dream of being here. Of course, he didn't come for dream, but he. His treatment was was similar. At the time of the novel, there was there was one Japanese person in Illinois who was a servant of President Ulysses Grant, and that was the only Japanese person that any of these uh, Americans had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think think he would be a precursor of those immigrants who came in search of the American dream. In doing research for the book, I discovered that there was a large uh, settlement of Japanese and Chinese in Denver as they were fleeing discrimination on the coast along California, and they kept going east in search of a better life, in search of uh, work in the mines, and in coal fields. Mm. So, um, yes, I think it's similar. And when uh, I was doing research, and when when I was writing, and I had Benji um, going to San Francisco, it just so happened, I realized, oh, the earthquake, the big earthquake took place right then. Mm. And that was the time when uh, America's 
white America's disdain for Japanese and Chinese um, people became very painfully evident because uh, Japantown and Chinatown was virtually destroyed by the earthquake. A lot of people died. But in the newspaper reports, there were those names were not included. It was only the white Americans whose names were included. And a lot of uh, Asian people were just lost without being recorded. So that really affected me and helped me to see um, what what was the, the actuality. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah, exactly. And I also heard a, sim- a similar story of when the railroad is completed mm-hmm. and they, the president actually didn't recognize any Mexican workers or Asian workers. Instead, they say this is the success of America oh, from really? American people. So it's exactly the same. That yes. uh, And there is a new project coming out from led by Stanford University and other professors and teams that to recover, like rediscover this news of or effort from Asians um, during the railroad. Oh, so good. they collected a lot of like archives from railroad workers and oral histories as well. Wonderful. So I think that's, I think your work definitely is a contribution to uh, recovery and this rediscovering the Asian American history as well. So I also, in the book, I can see Kate is torn between her Christian principles and her resentment of raising another woman child. So how do you position motherhood in your book? She is a a woman who is not really prepared to be a mother. First of all, her own mother is cold to her, so she hasn't taught her how to be nurturing to a child. But she wants to be a good mother, and she really, really wants to be a good mother to Benji. She has a lot of pity for him and affection, but her jealousy about Butterfly is more than she can stand, and she sees her face and Benji's, and it, in, in her case, um, motherhood is very fragile, and I don't know that... Um, Many women could have sustained what she did. Mm-hmm. But then she has her own children. She has dropped deeper and deeper into depression, and she is not able to uh, be a mother to them anymore because she's so depressed and um, sort of loses her her mind. Yeah, yeah. So um, the the mother figure in the book is the grandmother. Mm. who takes care of Benji, who's removed from the love conflict. Mm. So I meant for her to be nurturing. And the veterinarian character um, named Horatio Keast is a nurturing figure who nurtures Benji. Both the Keast and the grandmother take care of him. Without them, I don't think he could have survived. He had to have some kind of love and affection and stability. Mm. And so they take over for her. Mm. That's cool. Uh, so now I want to ask you mm. a couple of general questions. So um, during writing this book, uh, did you meet any unexpected challenges? And what is the hardest part of writing this book? The hardest part was to realize that um, 
at the time I was writing a, a made-up story, my own made-up story, uh, that took place in 1906, drawing on the opera, characters who had walked out of the opera and they were, were moving around there in the Midwest, I realized that the the actual opera of Madame Butterfly was being performed all over the U.S. and was in, first the, in fact the first really popular opera in America. So it was being performed right as Pinkerton and all the others were living their lives. And there was his story in the opera. And people were going to see it. And I thought, well, this is a terrible dilemma. What can I do? I thought of giving up on this idea. I thought of changing Pinkerton's name to something else and just making it, you know, um, quite different. And then I decided to take it on directly and have him know about the opera. And that was very hard to pull off. That was the hardest part. But it it turned out to be the... um, I think the um, most successful part mm-hmm. of the book, really, because it gave him a, a chance for redemption to go to the opera and see himself on the stage. Mm-hmm. So I think often that the hardest part in writing turns out to be the most successful if you can manage it. Yeah, that's cool. So what do you want your readers to take away from this book? Well, always I want my characters to have um, a, an emotional reaction to the to the people that I've portrayed, mm-hmm. and to um, be affected also by the language. Mm-hmm. My aim in writing is to get the closest emotion possible in the most accurate language, mm-hmm. and if a reader feels that and is moved by it, that's that's what I want. Mm. Yeah, I definitely love your language. It's so delicate and Thank elegant. Um, and I, yeah, I want to read on more of your work. And uh, so a final question that I want to ask is uh, what uh, project are you working on and what's your larger goal of your future uh, writing career? Thank you. I have another um, idea for a, a novel set in Japan, which I have begun work on. Which would be, which would continue characters both in Butterflies, Child, and Plum Wine. I would bring, I'm bringing two characters together from different books, and it takes place in Japan in 1939 and 1940, and right before the war, of course. And again, I want to examine uh, Japanese-American relations, but in in Japan itself. Mm-hmm. And Benji, by then a grown man, will suffer the consequences of being American during the conflict in which um, Americans have suddenly become the devil. And uh, how, how did he exist as the war grew closer and closer and more heated? And then how did he exist after the war when the Japanese were defeated and the Americans came in and the Japanese uh, thought of him as a spy mm-hmm. and what would happen to him later. So it's uh, putting that Japanese-American tension in right in the heart of war and mm-hmm. um, a small segment of, 
a little microcosm of how war happens anyway. Yeah. Wow. I look forward to reading your new book. Thank you. Thank you, Melody. I really appreciate your thoughtful questions and your um, close and kind reading of my book. I look forward to working with you further on soon.